Hello, it's Robert Bathurst here. I was one of the first guests on My Time Capsule, and Mike has asked me to tell you that you can now listen to the podcast ad-free by subscribing to Acast Plus. Details of how to join are in the description of each episode. Mike says it's very reasonably priced. In fact, Mike says it's a bargain. And who am I to disagree? Locked here in his cellar. Anyway, for a small subscription, Acast Plus, My Time Capsule, ad-free. Free. Unlike me. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, and welcome to My Time Capsule. I'm Mike Fenton-Stevens, and my time capsule is the podcast where I ask my guests to tell me the five things from their life that they would choose to put into a time capsule. They can pick four things that they cherish, but they also pick one thing they rather regret, something they want to bury in the ground and never think of again. My guest in this episode is Lizzie Roper, a stalwart of the London comedy scene, Edinburgh Festival and numerous character roles on TV. She's perhaps best known for playing Sam Lomax in Hollyoaks, but taxi drivers get most excited when she reveals she was Mabel, one of the two mad old ladies in the long-running Aunt Bessie's Yorkshire pudding adverts. She's appeared in The Worst Week of My Life, Shameless, Being Human, my favourite comedy, Him and Her, Casualty, This is Gintzy, New Tricks, Waterloo Road, Dead Boss, Boy Meets Girl, Call the Midwife. She's even played the silly old moo until death has depart, opposite Simon Day's Alf Garnet, and is soon to be seen in Amazon's Your Christmas or Mine. Lizzie's live work includes One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, opposite Christian Slater, The Odd Couple with Alan Davis and Bill Bailey, and she toured the UK with Jenny Eclair and Dilly Keane in Grumpy Old Women to the Rescue. She's taken numerous shows to the Edinburgh Festival, including three one-woman shows, the most successful of which was Peccadillo Circus, that Lizzie devised, and she was nominated for the stage's best solo show, transferring to the West End and touring the UK. She's now a presenter for BBC Channel Islands, and indeed her home on Guernsey is where I spoke to Lizzie. Although I wasn't there, sadly, I was on Zoom. But what a lovely, funny chat we had. And here it is. 
Yeah, so what have you been doing recently? I moved to Guernsey for the pandemic. I didn't know that. Well, my parents moved here 35 years ago. Yeah. Um, and we lost dad four years ago when mum was getting frailer and frailer. So my sister had moved to be back with her. I thought, I don't want to be sort of cut off from mum and Jane. So I came over here mm. and practically two years later, <laughs> I'm still here. Brilliant. So you just jump on a plane if you need to come back, do you? Well, exactly. Yes. Mm. My base is here now. I have lots of friends in London who say, oh, if you, if you need it, you can come and stay with me. Yeah. You're in lovely Tunbridge Wells, aren't you? I am in lovely Tunbridge Wells, yeah. I have the feeling that I'm a bit like you, that I've got too used to it. I had to go to London yesterday and I really didn't want to go. Yeah. I mean, well, I think that was very lucky. My London days, I, I had a, a flat in Bayswater for 16 years. I was right in the heart of it. Oh, wow. You know, I've done the West End and all that. It was all lovely. I could walk in. I could walk and do a voiceover. I could jump on a bike and be in Soho in 20 minutes. Mm. But let's just slow down. <laughs> let's just take a breath of fresh air, shall we? Leave it to the youngsters. I've never been to Guernsey. It's lovely, isn't it? Well, okay. So my first time capsule thing is Guernsey. Oh, brilliant. Okay, yes. Some people would say Guernsey's in a time capsule anyway, but <laughs> Guernsey has been this utter delight. I was 18 years old and my dad came home. He worked at the Bank of England and he came home one day and he said, I've got a job in Guernsey. And I thought, oh, between Devon and Cornwall, I don't know. <laughs> and it turns out it's this island off the coast of France. And there was I, I was going to go to university. I was going to go to drama school. I was going to be an actor. And what could this rock in the middle of nowhere? It was no use to me. And my parents went off and I felt rather guilty because for a long time I really resented this little island that it was a plane ride to see my parents. Mm. They lived in a place I had no friends. I had no contacts here in a house that I didn't know. It was just this bizarre place that my parents lived. And it, being an actor as well, it's like, well, I can't come. I've got to be in Soho for a voiceover. <laughs> I can't miss an audition. I can't. And this was all pre-Zoom and, and yeah. all that. I, I, I have to be in London. I have to be in London. Mm. And then, you know, the years roll on, the years roll on, and I sort of got into my 40s. And it's 27 square miles. 65,000 people live here. <laughs> it's small. I mean, then you take a place like Sark, which is in the bailiwick of Guernsey. There's 400 people live in Sark. But it's almost like it's the right size for people to live in. Mm. It's big enough. There are still places of this island I haven't seen. It is still one of the most beautiful, breathtaking places to be. We have white sandy beaches. You can stand on them Sundays. You, you, you'll think that you're in the Bahamas. <laughs> we have crystal blue, clear waters. We have amazing fishing. I get up in the morning and I say to my sister, what beach shall we walk the dogs on today? <laughs> today I went to Ladies Bay with my little dog and I stood on the beach and there were just two horse riders taking their horses out. You can stand on a Guernsey beach on a bank holiday Monday and think to yourself, it's a bit busy today because there's 10 families. <laughs> it, it is not Benidorm. It is so open and beautiful and this extraordinary history. And because, of course, the Channel Islands were occupied by the Germans. Yeah. So you can stand in the middle of nowhere and you can think, I am seeing exactly what a Nazi soldier saw in 1942. I am standing exactly where a Napoleonic soldier stood. Wow. And the view hasn't changed. The same curtains. <laughs> 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 yes, people sort of have this rather sort of backward idea of it. It's all just full of billionaires. And of course, of course, it has some billionaires, but it has an entire infrastructure. It has all sorts of people living here doing all sorts of jobs. Mm. And we were so lucky with the pandemic. You know, I was being a Londoner, living on an island and watching what 
I'm going to say it, that shit Boris um, was doing to you lot. I don't know why you're so aggressive about Boris Karloff. (laughs) What's he ever done to you? Oh, I don't know. (laughs) I've got the hump. What what was extraordinary about Guernsey, because it's a group of islands, the bailiwick of Guernsey, and our politicians were very clever and they knew we only had nine beds in intensive care. Mm. So they could not afford to let the pandemic in. No. So we shut down, which meant no aircraft and no ferries. And it was an extraordinary thing that I think we had like eight or nine weeks of a complete lockdown, Mm. just cut ourselves off from the rest of the world. We eradicated it on the island. And we got to a point, sort of two and a half months, we came out of lockdown and there was no masks, there was no social distancing. Our life was normal mm. to the extent that um, Renoir came to Guernsey at one point. He was here for six weeks and he painted 17 paintings <laughs> and they bought one of these paintings. So in the middle of lockdown, while we're watching people in the UK having this horrific time, mm. I could walk five minutes up the road to a Renoir exhibition and I could walk around this huge hall and there were school children and there was people and hello, hello and bare faces. And at the end of it, you end up looking at a painting of Moulin Wet, this beautiful, beautiful bay that Renoir painted. And again, it's exactly the same view today. Mm. It's magical. It's the most magical place. You must come. Well, I'm going to stop now and I'm off to the airport. (laughs) It's only an hour. Exactly. I love the idea of things that don't change. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe that's a sign of age. <laughs> Almost certainly that's a sign of age. But actually, I like things that stay the same because that familiarity is something to treasure, I think. Like London, the West End, because you know, I'm very lucky. I was there in my 20s and 30s mm. before the invasion of Starbucks and this and that and the other. I can remember when that Pret-a-Manger in Leicester Square was a Renault car showroom, yeah. which just seems like the most bizarre <laughs> use of space. And even walking around the West End about 12 years ago, I suddenly realised, and I was walking past the M&M place, and I just thought, you're a dinosaur. You don't belong here. Uh, This isn't for you anymore. Get out, old lady. And yet at the same time, there you are living in Guernsey Mm -hmm. and embracing the modern world. Now, there's no real need very often, (laughs) apart from actually physically being somewhere when you have to work. You don't have to be there to audition. We can do it like this. Yeah. Well, I'm back doing voiceovers for ITV. Mm-hmm. I oh, I got a li- I got a little job, um, and I got involved with a local growing company. I organised a seed swap, which meant I went to BBC Radio Guernsey. I used to do radio back in the day, and they trained me up. I'm now their stand-in radio presenter. Oh, brilliant! And I thought, yeah, I'll do a day here and a day there. And because they're between presenters, they said, "Will you do nine weeks of the mid-morning show?" So I became Alan Partridge in <laughs> Guernsey for <laughs> nine weeks. <laughs> I'm having an absolute ball. Oh, was it phone-in? It wasn't phone-in. I would interview one or two people an hour and play records and talk about local things coming up of course doing it in covid you're saying oh we've got the cow concert coming up and then the next day we've cancelled the cow concert (laughs) um and the shows were getting drier and drier and we were losing more and more stuff and and i'd go oh it's all right susan calman's show's coming on on uh, monday i'll give her a ring and then susan calman would come on yeah or i'll get miranda on and also because guernsey sort of become this weird destination port and i used to run a little stand-up club so many of my stand-up friends have been coming. Ed Burns come over. I'm like, 
come on, Ed. We'll go out for dinner. I'll show you around the island. Alex Lowe's coming over in two weeks' time, so I'm meeting up with him. Brilliant. So I'm, so I'm interviewing all my friends, old comedians like Reg D. Hunter I'm, and Gary Delaney, and I'm interviewing them on the radio, and I'm like, well, I'll see you later. <laughs> so it's like I didn't have to hang around in London. My friends have come to me now. Well, I don't blame them. I'm very, very lucky. This sounds a bit like this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Which I'm absolutely addicted to. I love it. Oh, how nice. I can't say that it's not been fun. Perfect listening. I was listening to you and Toya yesterday. Oh, Toya. And a crazy rabbit having to clip his teeth. <laughs> I know. But it's all right. £7,000 a year she spent on the rabbit. That's good. <laughs> I could be a rabbit. Blimey. <laughs> well, I'm very jealous. I'm very jealous of the sea, actually. I don't like going on the sea, but I do love looking at the sea. I think it's just so good for your soul. Like, big horizons. Mm. Having spent so long in London, I moved up to Liverpool for a year and a half when I was doing Hollyoaks, and I was like, that, that amazing thing. Like, oh, it's a city, but people smile and they do eye contact. <laughs> and if you so much as hesitate on the street, they go, all right, you lost. It's like, no, how lovely. <laughs> um, and then I'm in, I'm in this amazing place, and I think it is so good for the soul to see a big horizon, to stand on a beach and have that big expanse of sky and that big expanse of sea mm. and i know i'm terribly lucky i i pinch myself every day I, how lucky i am mm. my parents could have moved anywhere and they moved to this tiny charming beautiful island soaked in history with the loveliest people here and alcohol so cheap <laughs> <laughs> and the sun shines yes i've got massively into gardening oh my lord <laughs> i've resurrected two greenhouses we had two raised beds i've got involved with this growing charity which has an old um uh, commercial greenhouse mm. it's a two and a half acre good god it is bliss they've turned it into allotments and there's a food forest and there's the education bit over there and oh, there's a dog running around and we've got some wild cats to take the, the rats and the mice out it's heaven wow a two and a half acre greenhouse. Yeah. And what people share, you know, this is my little bit. And There's some community gardens where you can you can rent a strip for an entire £20 a year. What a rip off. I know. I discovered gardening about five years ago. So, you know, growing potatoes and beans and all sorts. And then, and then that wonderful thing about gardening, you meet another gardener and you can be sat there for hours. Mm. As it is, Michael, I'm already chitting my spuds in the dining room. Are you? <laughs> oh, yes. Do you chit your spuds, Michael? <laughs> Well, more by accident, actually, just by <laughs> leaving them in the cupboard. Are you a grower? I am a grower. I used to be a proper grower. I had a large allotment, mm -hmm. three allotments altogether. Enormous amount of digging every year. Kept you very fit. But I used to grow so many vegetables. I supplied a local Italian with courgette flowers for an entire summer. Wow, mm. that's amazing. They had it on the menu, you know, pasta with courgette flour sauce. Yeah. And I said, where do you get them from? He said, oh, it's very expensive, very expensive. We go to uh, London, you know, it's all mm. very expensive. I said, well, I've got hundreds of them. Do you want some? <laughs> and he said, okay. So next day I brought in a plastic bag full of them. <laughs> I just couldn't believe it. Oh, fucking hell, Mr. Stevens, he's unbelievable. I hope he's given you free dinners ever since. I didn't get free dinners, but I always got a bottle of wine. Oh, hello. You see, God. Something brings out the barterer in people, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. So here's, here's my courgettes, and there's, there's some tomatoes. Oh, do you want to pickle that? Yes, lovely. Yeah. Oh, make some marmalade. Oh, let's make jam. I love yeah. it. You know, some years are better than others. Last year, I had a, not a good year in almost anything. It was an odd one last year. The climate was very odd, though, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. 
tomatoes lots of broken hearts over tomatoes oh, last awful. year this is really fascinating everybody i'm sure they're having a whale of a time listening to this <laughs> like gardens world yes. monty don and his baked potato balls oh don't monty don nearly came on the other week oh and then he changed his mind oh, oh can you imagine the excitement oh, you have to get monty don on i know too busy and i'm not surprised but, you know, there's a possibility it'll happen. I'd love that. Yeah. I just love Monty Dunn, mm. just because of his name. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, <laughs> it was a disaster. It was a disaster for all sorts of things. Mm. Well, we had such a lovely summer here, and I discovered that uh, I have a propensity to alcoholism. Really? We'd be in the garden in the sunshine, and my sister and I would just turn to each, and it would be at like 11 o'clock in the morning. And uh, she'd, she'd look at me and I'd look at her and then she'd say, shall we get pissed up? And I'd go, yeah, let's get pissed Like it was something to write on the list and tick off. <laughs> pissed up on a Monday afternoon at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. That's another day filled up. What did you do this week? Well, four of the days I was well pissed up. I've got my life sorted, thank you. I was with you, Lizzie. I became so good at getting pissed up <laughs> that I've actually given up alcohol. It's becoming quite fashionable. I think that's because we all discovered we had a propensity for alcoholism <laughs> by getting pissed up. <laughs> I'm shouting at Park Park. <laughs> at nine o'clock in the morning. <laughs> getting aggressive about the toilet. Duck. Give me that. <laughs> um, and are you feeling, is your skin amazing? Are you sleeping so much better? Look at it. Look at the state of me. It's like a little baby bottom talking to me. <laughs> I'm falling apart. Absolutely falling apart. Oh, no. But there we are. There's always heroin. <laughs> I'm not giving that up. I'm not an idiot. <laughs> Oh, okay, I am going to take the beautiful island of Guernsey. Thank you very much. And all its joys, even... And what's that I can hear in the background? Oh, there's a drunken woman shouting. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, you can't have everything in life. <laughs> Lovely. Thank you very much. That goes in as your first thing. Lizzie, what's next? Right, the next thing is a portrait of my mum and dad that hung over my parents' bed. I was born in 67, so I, was, yeah, I had a fantastic 1970s childhood. Lucky, lucky me. Mm-hmm. And we had this sort of very sort of traditional thing, because my dad, like I say, my dad worked for the Bank of England. I never understood what my dad did. I remember used to saying to him, what do you do, Daddy? And he would talk, and it would be like the characters in Snoopy, you know, when the growing-ups go, rah, 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 rah. So I, 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 don't, I don't know what you do, but I do know that some weekends, as a Bank of England official, he would have to stay the night at the Bank of England. Oh. Um, so that he'd have to be there overnight, which was great for us, because on a Sunday, it meant that we could go in to the Bank of England, and we could have tea in the Bank of England Museum, and it was all sort of like this. And like, for the, the Lord Mayor of London show, we could go to the Bank of England and stand on the balcony and watch it all going past. And, yeah. and then when I saw, I saw the film Mary Poppins, and Mr. Banks works at the Bank of England. So I was like, yes, of course he does, because all daddies work at the Bank of England. That's, <laughs> that makes perfect sense to me. Yeah. So when we were very little, my parents' bedroom, above the bed, there was this picture of two heads on a pillow looking at each other. Mum was obviously my dad, and the back of the head looked like my mum's sort of back of her head. But I can remember getting into that bed on a Sunday morning, and it was me and my older sister, 
and she had a big box of ribbons and we would get either side of my dad with this big box of ribbons and we would just put bunches all over his head <laughs> and put ribbons all over. So he, he would end up looking like Bjork um, of the party <laughs> and just like being allowed to do that. with. And I look back and, and like he could have been quite a stern bloke and he was just the most lovely, wonderful playful dad i can remember oh my god do you remember the wrestling on a saturday afternoon giant mm-hmm. haystacks and big daddy yeah and he used that he used to let us wrestle i'd be like four or five years old wrestling this enormous man who would let me win and i would somehow think I've really, I've really got something going on here <laughs> and i can remember my dad saying uh, at the bottom of our road we had a, li- a perfect little row of shops we had like a greengrocer a hardware store a sweetie shop a news agent a butcher and an off license. And like I remember my father used to say, I'm just going down the happy shop. Do you want to come? And the happy shop, this may be with my alcohol. I'm, I'm leading it back again. I've all gone wrong. Um, and I can remember like, he'd have one of those, you know, those trolleys on wheels that old ladies have. And we would mm. stride off down the road. And I can remember it being a really, really hot summer. And I was wearing a bikini. You know how little girls <laughs> and your belly is just sticking out yeah. went off down the road in my bikini and my dad and the trolley and we end up in the happy shop and my dad's face is just alive i want this and i want this and he was half spanish so he was big on his wine hmm. and then i would be able to choose a bottle of cream soda oh and it was back in the days when you took your bottles back didn't you and you got money back on glass bottles brilliant yes why didn't we do that anymore I don't know. They go into the recycling and they get crushed up. Or wouldn't it just be easier to hand them back and they wash them out and reuse them? Yeah. 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 Weird. Like milk bottles, a number of milk cartons that are thrown away every year. <laughs> Let's get back to milk bottles. Yeah. Do you still have a milkman? I do have a milkman, but at a cost. But it's a cost that I feel is worth paying if I can afford it, which I can. So, that, mm. you know, I'm lucky, really. I liked it in the wintertime when the cream would sort of, it would all sort of freeze and it would push <laughs> the milk bottle top off. Yes. And then you could make Rice Krispies and it was half ice and half cream and, oh, it was ah. just heaven. And you mentioned cream soda. Cream soda, not <gasps> a thing that people have often now, but we used to get ice cream and pour cream soda over it. And it all fizzes up, and oh, it's amazing. You sophisticated young thing. Oh, that was our summer treat. Yes. I'm just very grateful I had a, a 70s childhood. It seems so sort of naive and innocent mm-hmm. and, you know, pre-computers and pre-the internet and the ability to be bored. And I think that's really important to be bored sometimes. That's when the when the best things happen, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I'm slightly worried that your father, when he said to you, worked at the Bank of England, mm. that actually what he meant was, I will do when I can find out how to get in. <laughs> and then he did find out how to get in and immediately moved to Guernsey. Well, my, my parents actually met at the Bank of England. The Bank of England has played such a huge part in my life. My dad, he was the son of refugees who were escaping the Spanish Civil War and ended up in a grammar school. He was a very, very bright kid. He arrived speaking Spanish at five, six years old. Mm-hmm. Um, ten years later, he was doing his A-levels and going off to Oxford, having to do his national service, and then sort of came out of that and went straight from Oxford to the Bank of England. My mother, meanwhile is a little kid in a council house in Walthamstow who gets sent off to Blenavon when the war is on, mm. uh, which was the making of her because she got to go to a really good school in Blenavon, moves back to London and has to leave school at 16 because, you know, there's got to be money on the table. Mm-hmm. So she left school on the Friday, started at the bank on the Monday, and my mother was hot stuff. 
she was so beautiful. There was a gentleman at the Bank of England who was very keen on photography, and we have albums and albums and albums of my mum in the 50s, in the new look style, in that Vogue, little tiny waist, big skirt, mm. just glamorous, 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 and uh, smoking, smoking a fag. <laughs> yes. Smoking a fag. With in every single <laughs> photograph. Everybody always smoked a fag. So, so beautiful. And she was so, so popular. She said she had so many boyfriends at the Bank of England that she would have to go for two lunches. She would meet one boyfriend at the front of the bank to go <laughs> off for lunch. And then she would come back in and then she had to go to the back door and meet another bloke <laughs> and have another lunch with him. And they all admired her so much. She said, she eats like a bird. <laughs> Yeah. And then finally, finally, in 1958, she met my dad. And uh, I think the double lunches had to stop Mm. and settle down with my dad. The sexy, swarthy Spanish man. Yeah, yeah. They were so good looking, my parents. Their 1959 wedding photo, it's just sensational. And what was the painting over the bed then? Is that the portrait? So the painting over the bed is this, it's a painting and to me, as a child, it was my mum and dad in bed together. And didn't that all make sense that we were all in bed with my dad's hair in ribbons? Mm. And then, you know, having moved back to the family house and been emptying this attic, which is chock-a-block. And I found, I found this painting. And I realised at that point, it's not a painting, it's a print. And of course, of course it's not. It's a print of a painting. And my parents couldn't have afforded to be painted in their bed in the 60s. And I looked it up online, and it's a painting uh, called Lully by Toulouse-Lautrec of two lesbian prostitutes in bed with each other. <laughs> but your young mind. <laughs> My dad, the lesbian prostitute. <laughs> it looks so like him. <laughs> Toulouse-Lautrec knew some funny people. Really, just sums up my my carefree, glorious, privileged, wonderful nineteen seventies childhood. Mm, fantastic! Your parents do sound brilliant. <laughs> they weren't ever involved in the amateur dramatic society at the Bank of England, were they? My mother was. Why? Is your mum still around? She is. Yes, yeah, she's she's downstairs now, watching Midsummer Murders or whatever. I wonder if she knew Sid Torrison. I'm going to ask her. How do you know Sid Torrison? Sid Torrison was a friend of my father's. He was at school with my father and he worked at the Bank of England and he was involved in the Amateur Dramatic Society there. Wouldn't that be amazing if it were true? <gasps> oh, this is very exciting. See how it all comes together. <laughs> he may be a bit old. I mean, he would be in his 90s now. Well, she's 80. She's 89. I'm not allowed to tell anybody, but she's 89. Wow. How are you? They might have done. Maybe. And in fact, I once went to see the play Dandy Dick. At the Bank of England. Dear, oh, Lord. Dandy Dick is a comedy about... A dick? Yeah, sadly, no. A racehorse <laughs> called Dandy Dick. And it's about somebody fixing a race. I wonder if my mother was in Dandy Dick. Wouldn't that be extraordinary if I'd seen your mother act? Oh, how funny. <laughs> oh. I told you weird things happen on this podcast. <laughs> how fantastic. I can't wait to put a print of two lesbians in bed together. <laughs> <laughs> into your time capsule and when you open it you'll understand what it means but if it's anybody else they'll think what this strange person and underneath just saying in memory of my mum and dad <laughs> <laughs> oh 
good. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad you let me have that. That's all right. Oh, thank you. Thank uh, you very much. That's a lovely story, uh, though. That sounds an idyllic childhood. Absolutely fantastic. Mm. We were very lucky to live in a time when nobody realised that the world was going to pot. Yeah, weren't we? I think we missed out on having everything photographed. Mm -hmm. But I think there was a sweet spot with the internet. I think in the 1990s was as good as it got. Yeah, that was the best. That was when you first discovered that if you had a spare couple of hours, you could steal some music. (laughs) Only one song, obviously. It took that long to download it, but you could. You could get it for nothing. I remember having a binary computer at school and going in early in the mornings and drawing a picture of a candle, which took two weeks. <laughs> and going X equals naught plus one equals... Yes. It's awful. <laughs> <laughs> you see, you could have been Steve Jobs. <laughs> Easy. Oh, well. Isn't that a terrible name, Jobs? <laughs> You'd change it, wouldn't you? Jobby job. You would. Maybe that's why I became so rich. I'll show you. <laughs> I'm going to change my surname to Wanker, and I'm going to call my child Im Andrew Martin Angus Wanker. I am a wanker. He's, he will rule the world. Can't wait with bated breath. <laughs> oh, thank uh, you. I'm going to move on from item number two, the fantastic print, and we're going to number three. Right, sticking with tradition, it's ad break time. We'll be back before you can say chop chop. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome back. Of course, if there were no adverts, I'm back much quicker than Chop Chop. I'm back expeditiously, hastily, hurriedly, rapidly even. In fact, instantly. Either way, let's get back to my time capsule and my lovely guest, Lizzie Roper, to discover what else she would like to put in her time capsule. Okay, number three 
is uh, I was going to call this bit the green room, um, but it's basically backstage. It's everything that happens not in front of the cameras and not in front of the audience. And really, as actors, sometimes we really shouldn't be paid because we're <laughs> almost paid in laughter, aren't we? Yes. We're encouraged to play, and you take that to its extreme, and it ju- we just become naughty. Become really naughty. <laughs> Don't leave the actors alone. They'll just eat all the biscuits and fuck each other. <laughs> oh, fuck the biscuits. <laughs> and I just, I, I look back on, so my friend Matt is a photographer and he, uh, he texted me and he said, um, I've just been to an exhibition and there's a photograph of you being spanked. <laughs> and, uh, and he said it's definitely you you're bending over and there's uh there's a nurse on one side and there's a small man wearing a flying hat uh and no trousers <laughs> i'm like oh yes of course that was me <laughs> and that was from an exhibition it's called um the half i think he's called simon anand and he he did this brilliant project where he went around all the dressing rooms in the west end and you buy this beautiful book. It's the half. It's everything that happens to the actors half an hour before they go on. Mm. There's a portrait of Judy Dench in black and white looking at the distance. <laughs> in the can, I'm smoking a fag. There's Bill Nye, big, magnificent and aloof. Turn to page 241. There's Lizzie Roper <laughs> next to Alex Kingston, dressed as a nurse. Um, Catherine Jakeways bending over a wall while Ian Coppinger stand up is wearing a flying hat and only his pants and spanking us with his trousers. (laughs) (laughs) It's photographer. Because we were doing Cuckoo's Nest with Christian Slater and Alex Kingston. Fair enough. And the photographer turns up and he's like, oh, I'll take his check of. Oh, I've just been taking photos of Christian and Alex. And we're like, you want a photo? You want a photo? We'll give you a photo. (laughs) Um, We're doing dangerous stuff. Yeah. Beautiful, beautiful, serene, serene, <laughs> lovely book. But we used to do it every day because because we discovered in it was a great play to do. You know, Cuckoo's Nest. It's you know, it, it makes you laugh, it makes you cry, it mm. pulls you all over the place. It's a it's a it's an onion in it. It's an onion of a place. So many layers. <laughs> but most of the cast were stand ups. It was one of these things that came out of the Edinburgh Festival. Let's put a load of stand ups on, and we'll do one for the Cuckoo's Nest. And then suddenly Mackenzie Crook was playing Billy Bibbit, which made sense because he was massive in the office, but his background was stand up. And I'd been cast as the girlfriend of McMurphy. Mm. And I was like, which comedian's going to be playing my McMurphy? Who's, go- who's it going to be? And then literally like three weeks before we're due to start, we get this thing saying, oh, we've, we've got McMurphy. It's Christian Slater. And you're like, <laughs> <laughs> what? What? <laughs> he can't call himself Christian Slater. There's a really famous American called Christian Slater. Yeah. The Christian Slater. Yeah, and my part, Candy Starr, her entrance says, Candy Starr enters, she is a dish, they kiss sensationally. That's before <laughs> I've even opened my mouth. <laughs> but Christian Slater doing the Edinburgh Festival, Christian Slater doing something in the assembly rooms where we have to share dressing rooms. Mm-hmm. And I remember I shared a dressing room with Francis Barber and Catherine and Lucy Porter and it was also the dressing room that the magician who was on used to keep his rabbit in. So there was straw all over the place. <laughs> um, and we had the only sort of flushing toilet. So Christian would walk in and, and have a wee with the door open and chatting to us about, you know, like, how did we end up here? And mm. then when we went to the West End, we'd be in the green room and you'd be looking around. It's all these comedians um, wearing their sort of their inmates, like sort of white pyjamas. Yeah. 
then there's Lucy Porter, the tiniest woman in the world, dressed up as a nurse, <laughs> looking like some sort of sex toy. Um, and Catherine Jakeways and I, dressed up as the good time girls. And then Christian Slater with a flying jacket on. It's like, we look like the cast of a Benny Hill show. It's absolutely <laughs> ridiculous. And every day we would play celebrity spanking and take in terms of... And then... I think down the road, Roger Allen was doing a play with Judy Dench and they heard about it and they wrote a letter saying, well, we're very, we're very upset that we've been excluded from celebrity spanking. Um, <laughs> it's often the case, isn't it, that in a way, the more serious the play or the more you know, difficult it is to do it every night, the more ridiculous things get backstage. You know, if you're doing a comedy, actually, people are generally quite serious backstage. <laughs> Talk about the weather. Yeah. But if you're doing a really heavy drama... People go a bit mad, don't they? Well, I think you have to as well, because if you're doing eight shows a week and you are doing the same, and of course, it's ne- it's not the same every night. The audience is different. You are a bit different. You're trying this. You're trying that. Mm. But I think you almost owe it to yourself to have that bubble of naughtiness going mm. on to keep you on your toes. And, and it's not just, I'm going up there and I'm saying the same words. You have to sort of work it, don't you? Yeah. Yeah, there has to be an element of risk involved in it. Mm. it because the moment it becomes... Well, just repetitive. It's then it's stayed mm. and it's boring. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah, I completely agree with you. Uh, but you're right. The green room or just things that happen backstage, they're often the things that you take away from a performance. They're, you know, mm. the things that happen on stage, you sort of forget. Yeah. The audience remember that. But you, unless it, something goes drastically wrong on stage, mm. you very rarely remember it. You know, <laughs> I, I set myself things to do on stage that will make it memorable. Like what? Well, I, I sort of go there where the pause that I've been doing has got a bit long. And the director said to me, Actually, can you can you tighten that up? And I mm. say, well, I think it's it's sort of funnier left long. That risk involved in that. Yeah. I always feel the urge to just keep pushing it. How long can I leave it? Yeah. How long can I leave it before I say the line before? Either people say, are you going to speak? <laughs> or it stops being funny. I like yeah. it. I like it. It's so nice because every night you go home and you pull it apart in your head and oh, I could have done and what about and it's a privilege that you're able to sort of rework it and rewrite it and then it's that awful thing when the play ends and a mm. week later you're lying in bed and you go, oh, you idiot! <laughs> I know exactly what I should have done now. Yeah, it's so frustrating. That happens every time. But the last play I did was at Sheffield Crucible. Oh, I've got menopause brain on me. Rutherford and Sons. <laughs> mm. Rutherford and Sons. It's extraordinary play, um, sort of 1912, written by a woman. Oh, imagine. Um, and it is one <laughs> of the most, it was like, it's like sort of a pre-feminist play written in 1912 um, with this sort of patriarch played by Owen Teal. Have you mm. worked with Owen? No, but I know Owen Teal, yes. He was at drama school with lots of people I know. He's brilliant, yeah. Oh, and that's also the privilege of being backstage. You get to be up close to masters of their game and get to watch them feet away from you. Mm -hmm. I had this bizarre little part in it. I was playing a drunk. I had to stretch myself. (laughs) Um, And this woman, she comes into the man's house and she's pleading for her son who is sacked. It's one of those bizarre parts. You're, You're literally on stage for six pages, but you come in and you destroy they just throw everything up in the air destroy it Erla. have to have a full-on argument with <laughs> owen teal this glorious man who was just charming to rehearse with he was just like just pushing me and pushing me and, ah, and loving it mm. and then that was me done for the evening yeah and that and then and then i was mrs henderson and then it became mrs henderson's gin palace in dressing room number four <laughs> so 
<laughs> I would sit, I would put all the gin out, and then one by one, he would cast out one son, so that son would come up and sit with Mrs. Henderson and have his gin, and then he'd throw out the, um, the, the foreman, he'd come out and have his gin, then he'd throw out that son. And by the end of it, my, my dressing room was just the gin palace for <laughs> the destroyed family. Well, oh, the- and the, oh, and the, the door, the stage door. When we also when we were doing um Cuckoo's Nest, Ross Noble was next door doing his one man show, and of course all the boys knew him. We all knew him, and we'd go out and have um you know in between matinees, well not between matinees, but we'd have dinner and stuff together. Mm. And we were chatting to him one night, and um he was saying he was enjoying it, and and our our curtain calls were an absolute riot because <laughs> you it, were drunk. We would we would we, we no 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 on that particular occasion I wasn't. Um, but, but um, Christian Slater, we would get standing ovations. Even the previews, we would get standing ovations, and mm. Christian would sometimes would body surf the crowd, oh, wow. the West End crowd. He would just throw himself on and sort of be tossed around. <laughs> it was pure anarchy. So we're chatting to Ross Noble, and he was like, "Oh well, you know, I get to the end of mine and." That's it. Mm. And we worked out that he came down like five minutes afterwards. So one night, our show finished. We ran off stage, ran out of our stage door, ran next, and literally the, the theatres were next to each other, ran into their stage door, ran down the well. So there were like 13 or 14 of us, mm. waited in the wings. I um, saw the last five minutes of Ross's show. So Ross does his bow, walks off into the wings, and he's about to go back on for his second bow. And the entire cast of one play of the Cuckoo's Nest is following him. <laughs> <laughs> Bow to the audience. The audience going, what? 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 Uh, thanks, bye. He's, he's got a big crew, isn't he? <laughs> oh, look, Christian Slater, what's he doing? The curtain. <laughs> yeah, that's the perfect thing about live theatre. Nobody knows what's supposed to be happening. If this is the first time you see it, you don't know. You don't know what's wrong. You don't know what's right. There's no point beating yourself up if somebody drops a line. No. Nine times out of ten, nobody knows. No. We were very lucky to be involved in those things and what wonderful moments we've had backstage <laughs> that nobody knows about apart from us. Yeah. Lucky us. <laughs> so that definitely goes into the time capsule for you, Lizzie. Thank you. You're welcome. So we move on to our next item. Um, what has become so important in my life are dogs. And I know how it would be utterly lost without dogs i'm single i am child free that suits me brilliantly i live with my sister and my mum it's sort of like the golden girls but <laughs> with less sunshine um we live in this insane bizarre house and we've always been a family of uh, rescue dogs and more recently it's old rescue dogs mm. and my, my sister lived in france for a long while and she got very friendly with the local dog rescue. And would you say, to them, give me the old dog that nobody wants, that nobody's going to take. And as long as it gets on with my pack, it can stay. So we have these, it's like, it is, it is like an old people's home. These, uh. these dirty old men that turn up. <laughs> <laughs> don't lick that, darling. Please don't lick that. <laughs> Oh, they do, mate. Lick it, they eat it, they chew it. Oh, they can be there for hours. And these dogs, they make me laugh and laugh. We have this little dog at the moment called Buster, who I think is sort of an angel. My mum didn't have a dog for a long while. And my dad, my dad went into a home and was there for a year. And literally six weeks before, dad died very suddenly. And six weeks before he died, uh, a friend of my mum's, they needed to find a home for this little 12-year-old rat terrier called Buster. He shouldn't be called Buster. He doesn't look like a Buster. He's a Lionel. He's a, he's a Kevin. <laughs> he likes being called Bum Bums. 
He likes being called Captain Mincy. He <laughs> likes being called Little Tommy Penis. And on high days and holidays, call me Nigel Havers because that suits him. That would suit anybody, in fact, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah. Um, so we took in Buster, who was like sent from heaven above. He's the easiest dog we've ever had. He's a lap dog. He's hilarious. He's funny. And he met my dad a couple of times. We, we took him in there. And then my dad died very suddenly. But having had Buster there for those six weeks, it meant I was coming over a lot to help my mum. It, it meant I spent loads of time with my dad. I would turn up to the home. I would wheel him around the bowling green with Buster. I'd take him a beer. It was beautiful, beautiful June. And this dog was a sort of a handover. It's almost like, it's going to be all right. It's going to be all right. Mrs. Roper's going to be all right. She's got this this little dog now. And there's a, there's a link to my dad there. Buster is now 16 years old and sleeps in my bed, under the duvet, in my bed, <laughs> at the foot of my bed. He spends the evenings on mum's lap. I Like I say, I take him for a walk in the morning on a beach. Mm. He's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> He's utterly hilarious. He has my heart. I can't imagine life without him. You know, my sister arrived from France with four dogs. One of them hasn't got any teeth and will try and gum you to death. <laughs> and we know that, you know, when we lose them, the next old shitters are going to come and stay. And, and see, my sister and I, because we know that our future is going to be, we'll have a little small holding somewhere. And we'll have some chickens and we'll have some bees and we'll have a cooney cooney pig. You see, do you know what Cooney Cooney Pig is? They're delightful. Um, and and we will be the crazy ladies who take in the old dogs. And we say it now when we're walking around the place and having our insane conversations. I'm sure people look at us and go, are they lesbians or sisters? I don't know. I don't know. Apparently their parents had a portrait of two lesbians. <laughs> yes. Mm. Utterly bizarre. Like when you live with your mum and your sister, and there's three and a half years between me and my sister, and I'm I'm 54, Jane's what 57, 58. But under the roof of this house, I think I must be about seven, and I think <laughs> Jane is about ten. Mm-hmm. Um, which manifests itself in a lot of ways. One of which is on a pretty much a daily basis, especially when the news is playing. My sister and I will run into the room. We will drop our trousers and our pants, and we will do a bum dance in front of News at Ten for our mother. Um, it keeps her young. It keeps us alive. Sometimes she laughs. Sometimes she goes, "Oh, for goodness' sake, will you put that away?" And then, um, as a as a special treat at Christmas, we decided we decided the best thing to do would be to get a magic marker, and we took it in turns to draw faces, big faces on our big asses. And then our then our piester and sister were just running like children. And my mum's watching these ten, and we dropped our back, and we jiggled these these faces on our asses around the place, wetting ourselves, wetting ourselves at our our ingenuity and our brilliance. And my sister, my sister said to me. Is this a good idea, using a magic marker? I'm like, oh, come off it, Jane. Who's going to see our arses? Come off it. (laughs) Two days later, I fell over in the kitchen and I strained a muscle in my right buttock. And I thought, (laughs) I I, I cannot. (laughs) I cannot be the weird woman. Is is she a sister or is she a lesbian? Who turns up at the doctor's surgery? (laughs) Can you look at my arse? (laughs) <laughs> oh, if you just like to go go behind the curtain and um, undress from the waist down oh out comes mr smiley face <laughs> i was talking about dogs <laughs> yeah, <I'm> not... <laughs> uh, well i have um, to say anyway. i think well you're very brave you're very brave because 
most people take on dogs when they're young. Obviously, you take on puppies or mm. you take on a young dog mm. because in a way you think you're promised mm. all those years with that animal. Mm. To take on an old dog, you could be taking them on for months, really, that's all. Yeah. But it doesn't stop you becoming as fond of them. Yeah. In a way, you're giving yourself the worst part of having a dog, which is losing them. But it's also the best part. Like We had, Al we had Alfie for only a year. She was a Spanish hunting dog. who was this weird old spaniel. And he'd obviously had a terrible, terrible, terrible life and was, and regard, you know how some dogs can be abused all their lives and there's not an ounce of viciousness in there. Mm -hmm. And what an absolute privilege for us to give Alfie his twilight years, the best time ever. He ended up in Guernsey on a beach every day. <laughs> yes. He built his muscles up. He was surrounded by people who had, he had his own armchair. And of course, if you take on a puppy, you get what you make rather than what it is. Yes. Yeah. But if you get a rescue dog, you know exactly what you're getting. Mm. To have easy, easy dogs who want easy lives, they don't want to prove anything. Little no. Titi, we had we had this dog from over the road. He was a he was a French mongrel. He had the biggest personality. He he it was like half dog, half potato. Nobody <laughs> knew what he was. It's this weird thing with four little legs hanging off him and this enormous penis that he would sort of hit the side of his body as he ran. I know the problem. <laughs> Yeah, the joy and the bliss I get from dogs, and I never understand why people don't want them. I can understand people haven't got the capacity in their life to have them in, but, oh, my God, my life would be very different without my dogs. Yes. There's that lovely phrase, I want to be the person my dog thinks I am. <laughs> they, they, they have this huge uh, capacity for love and affection, and I laugh every day with my little dog. Mm. He's fantastic. Yeah. So can I have dogs, please? Yes, you can. Even though they might die in that time. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's fine. It's a very well-tended kennel in there. <laughs> and people will take the dogs for walks and everything. Yeah, good, great, thank you. Okay, so we've got the final item to put in, which is something you mm. want to reject from your life. Ah, well, mm. having spoken about the best of being an actor, mm -hmm. can I put advert castings um, <laughs> <laughs> in the reject pile? You can, and that's enough <sighs> said. Oh I mean, anybody God. who's not an actor and never done those things will never know the oh. humiliation of... Oh. There is a brilliant thing on the internet, isn't there, of a... Of, uh, a Fiery Hawk, a, Fiery, Fiery Hawk, Hawk, Dustin Demery Burns. Look and, it up. Um, and having looked at it, if you think that's an exaggeration, it isn't. It's weird because it's almost like the, the directors and the corporate people are from a world that has nothing to do with acting. Mm -hmm. and, and as an actor, you turn up, you, know, I, you will be on time. Actors are on time. That's it. You have to be on time. You, you cannot be late. No. Um, you turn up for an advert casting. You're sitting there for an hour, an hour and a half. <laughs> and somebody rushes out of a room and says, there's no goat milk. Do you cast, uh, can I get, can, are you doing a sushi run? Oh, I don't know. Is there hummus? Is it vegan? Oh, I'm just so stressed. <laughs> now, yeah, I've been sitting here for an hour, an hour and a half. Yes. Do, oh, I can't read the sides because it's so top secret. Oh, <laughs> no, nobody must possibly read the three lines that you have come up with to sell your fruit pastels or whatever. <laughs> and then, and then going into the room and being faced with four or five people who are all on their phones or tapping away on a keyboard, ignoring you, mm. and like a dog, you are still going, "Hi, love me. Hi, hi, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hi, hi." Hi, I'm Lizzie. In the evening, I'm at the National Theatre, you know. Yeah. 
But uh, if you're dangling this carrot at me, that used to it used to be a carrot of like, oh, if you get this, it'll be fifty thousand pounds. Oh yeah, yeah. How much to eat a shit sandwich? Fifty thousand pounds. I'm eating it. <laughs> um, these days, it's like, well, it's it's a worldwide buyout. Um, all of the internet, radio, TV, to be used for continuum to be broadcast in space, and we'd be paying you fifteen hundred pounds, <laughs> and you have to be naked. And in order to live normally, you'll have to do one a week forever. <laughs> It's crazy. I just turn them down now. I just say no. I do you. Hmm? Yeah. What's the worst thing that you've been asked to do? Worst thing? Oh, God, it was a long time ago. I went into a room and there were two little boys. Two little boys. Oh, does your mummy know where you are? Two little <laughs> boys there, the, the director and the producer, um, wearing baseball caps on back to front because they haven't realised that the whole point of the peak is to shade your eyes. And uh, they'd come up with this hilarious idea. And you get this a lot as older women. It's really, really funny that an older woman should be sexually attracted to something because (laughs) they're so disgusting, aren't they? Mm. So the whole point was that there was a puppet and this woman was flirting. So you're flirting with it a bit and then you just sort of get off with it. (laughs) Genius. Genius. Absolutely genius. So I'm like, oh, okay. um, um, Where's the puppet? We haven't got a puppet. So I ended up rolling up my coat, <laughs> flirting with my coat, and then rolling around on the floor, dry humping my coat in front of two little boys wearing baseball caps while it's also being filmed. And like, how many bits of film of me are there all over Soho just degrading myself in the most horrific bloody way? <laughs> Awful, absolutely awful. I don't know why they think that actors should be brilliant mime artists because it's always the case. They say you turn to the waiter here and then you pick up the food, but you you juggle with it and you go, well, is there any food? Is there a waiter? No. Is there a table? No. Can Mm. I sit down to do it? No. Okay. (laughs) How how the hell do you expect me to do this? It's mad. They're useless. And more and more. More and more have to sort of turn up in costume because they haven't got the imagination to think what you might look like in a suit or in... I, yeah. I know. Uh, and if anybody from the advertising world is listening to this and is insulted by it... Good. Good, yes. <laughs> <laughs> a friend of mine got cast. They said, can you sail? And he sailed the odd dinghy. So he went, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, sure. And they went, oh, good, okay. So then... he. He was on a wide part of the River Thames on quite a windy mm. day, and they put him on a huge yacht. <gasps> and they said, all you have to do is you have to sail across to that bit over there, drop the sail, it will take the wind, and you sail it over towards there, and we'll film you coming, and you're on deck by the wheel. He went, uh, okay, How do I, what, will I be able to s- stop? By that point, they were all gone away and gone to the other bank. Okay, and... Lower the sail and action! (laughs) The thing went straight across the river and grounded itself on the bank on the other side, absolutely destroying this very, very expensive yacht. Yeah. Mind you, actors will say yes to anything. I I did the, I had the advert casting when they said, would you ride a wild boar? And I said, yeah, because obviously, obviously they wouldn't put me on a wild boar. They'd have it be a train. I mean, wild Mm -hmm. is a silly adjective. And I got the job. And two days later, I was driven to Mrs. McGinty's animal farm. And there's, you know, lions and tigers and bears, oh my. And to cut a long story short, 
it wasn't a trained wild boar. It was a it was a wild boar that was so out of control, that was so dangerous. Which I managed. I did manage to sort of launch myself on it while a while a Polish man with a bucket of apples ran across the field to give him something to run after. But making sounds that was so terrifying. And then two days later, I had to go and film it. But at this point, I was in this cumbersome costume. I could barely move in. The pig was furious. I got thrown off it. I got smashed up. Then they made me run through a fence, which they hadn't sort of sawed up properly. I uh. I have never been so battered and blue. But it is like that. Can you ride a bike? Yeah. I can ride a horse. I've got two weeks. Yeah. And also trusting, trusting that somebody in charge of you isn't going to kill you. That they care about your safety. Yes. I'd cast things. I've had enough of them. Yes. Just occasionally they've made life worthwhile for me. I have, uh, <laughs> you, know, you know, that thing of like you're saying, where you're kept waiting for ages and ages. Now, normally under those circumstances, people will say, I'm really sorry, but it's taking longer than we thought. We haven't organised things properly, but we do apologise for you having to wait. And uh, I did once where you know, it was getting on for two hours. And just as I was going to go, they mm. said, oh, no, they want you now. So I went in and nobody had said, we're sorry you've been kept waiting. No. Which, you know, because I'm only an actor, so my time is just not important. And the director, with his head down, whilst reading some notes about something else, said, uh, yeah, stand on that line, um, give your name and uh, what you've been doing recently. So I said, uh, my name's Mike, and recently I've been waiting to come in here. <laughs> How did that go down? <laughs> well, it made him look up, and then he said, mm. yeah, no, before that. And I said, oh, do you know, it's so long ago I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, do you want to do this commercial? I said, no, not with you. And I left. Well done. Oh, I love you. You see, I loved you before. I love you even more now. <laughs> but that's, that's why beautiful. I'm poor. <laughs> <laughs> but you have your dignity. <laughs> have you not seen most of my performances? What are you talking about, Lizzie? <laughs> oh, I love you, Lordy. Fantastic. Yes, well, absolutely. We should bury awful, awful advertising castings and the people who run them. Mm. And that'll be the end of that. And probably the end of our career, but who cares? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'll see you in Guernsey in about three hours. You absolutely will. You will come over and I'm going to give you the best tour of this place. I'll take you to the best restaurants, the best beach. We'll go to home. Fantastic. Oh, it's wonderful. And a great place for your grandkids as well. It's, oh, right. it's a real bucket and spade holiday. Brilliant. I don't need your address. I just say to the people as I get off the plane, <laughs> where's the drunken woman who shouts? And- <laughs> Oh, the lesbian with the sister. She's got a face on her arm. You won't miss her. Oh, dear. Thank you. Thank you very much. It's been an absolute privilege. Thank you, Michael. (laughs) You have been listening to My Time Capsule with me, Mike Fenton-Stevens, and my guest, Lizzie Roper. And if you're wondering if Lizzie's mum and my friend Sid Torrison ever worked together at the Bank of England, sadly they didn't. Still, nice thought. Now, I'm sure lots of you are Googling holidays in Guernsey, so I won't keep you. I'll just ask you to rate, review and subscribe to this podcast, to listen to the theme music by Pastor P's Music on Spotify, to follow me and my time capsule on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook, and to thank John Fenton-Stevens for so skillfully producing this cast-off production for Acast. I'll be back soon with more episodes, so until then, as I did that last bit so quickly, here's a little Channel Island joke I was once told. A tourist was staying on a farm in Saar, 
dark and he couldn't help noticing that one of the pigs had a wooden leg. Naturally, he asked the farmer why this was. Well, said the farmer, that there is quite a remarkable pig. One night when we were all asleep, the farmhouse caught fire. But that pig, he woke up the entire household and rescued two of the children single-trotted. Then a few weeks later, he was out tilling one of my fields when he discovered oil, which made us all millionaires. And just yesterday, we discovered that that pig can talk. That's incredible, the man said. But why the wooden leg? And the farmer said, well, you don't expect us to eat a pig like that all in one go, dear? Look, it's not my fault playing the bloke in the pub. Bye. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.